and we're Kerber's Kids. The Kids Talk, your monthly graphic novel review. back kids and thanks for listening as we delve into guardians of the galaxy legacy all in celebration and in great anticipation of the upcoming marvel release of guardians of the galaxy volume three and here today to talk about this graphic novel of the month for the month of april is none other than doc doc how are you I'm awesome, Angus. How you doing today? Doc, I'm doing great, and I am totally psyched here to delve into the Guardians of the Galaxy, and specifically this graphic novel, Legacy. Now, the graphic novel was published in January of 2009, collecting issues one through six, so the first six issues of the Guardians of the Galaxy run from May to October. Here are these issues in 2008. Now, our writing team are two Brits, Dan Abnett, and Andy Lanning. And the art was provided by Paul Pelletier. This is, again, all in celebration of this final installment of James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, Doc, we chose this particular graphic novel because, it greatly due to his credit, James Gunn calls out and provides writing credit to both Dan Abnett and Andy landing in every one of the guardians of the galaxy movies <laughs> i mean that That's, is showing is. <laughs> some great reverence there for those creators and basically setting this trajectory of what we know these modern guardians of the galaxy to be yeah there's no mystery of you know Sometimes when you're like, especially comic book fans, well, whenever we watch these movies, um, we always like to be like, okay, which source material are they using? Are they using this run or that run? With the Guardians of the, Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy, there's no doubt which run they're using. It's pretty clear. <laughs> indeed, indeed, Doc. So, Doc, with that being said, we actually have a connection between Jack Kirby and the Guardians of the Galaxy. So let's delve into a little Kirby kernel, a kernel of knowledge about our namesake, Jack. Hey, Wilford, fire up the tractor. Time to harvest another Kirby Kernel. Doc, in our Kirby Kernel for this episode, we have Jack Kirby having actually created one of now most beloved members of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that being Groot. And Groot became a big part of the emotional heart of the Guardians of the Galaxy when the first movie came out. But before he was a spacefaring hero, he was a 1960s monster created by Jack for the comic Tales to Astonish in issue number 13 from November 1960. Right there on the book's cover, they called him the monster from Planet X, and Groot was also more verbose at the time, too, before his language was simply cut down to, oh yeah, that Vin Diesel, I am Groot. So it is really cool here to see a connection between the King of Comics and the Guardians of the Galaxy, and then that utilization of Groot. It is that... that, uh, that um. That evolution of the character is really cool because, you know, we most of now nowadays we know it as just the I am group kind of character, but he was, he was a little bit more, you know, dynamic. And and like you said, way more verbose uh, in in his original form. And I kind of like, though, I think he fit really well with the, um, 
um, with this kind of, uh, with the James Gunn era of, uh, or version, I should say, of the Guardians. And I, I think it works really well with that. Um, but also, when you look back at the uh, the early years, I think uh, he was a really fun character too, Groot. So it's bizarre. I mean, just a really bizarre creation that really ended up finding a niche in, the, uh, in that Marvel universe. Yeah, what's very very interesting about this character and actually just that era in general you know when we have our jack kirby month every august i've delved into some of these one shots some of these eras and i went into one of the years here of jack's monster comics era and this was pre what folks would define as the silver age of comics a pre the marvel age and the launch of the fantastic four and jack really had this arsenal of really cool looking monsters that came out of Tales to Astonish that would then be repurposed into some of the later comic book series, not only in the Silver Age, but then into the Bronze Age. And, I, you know, Jack couldn't have known at the time that he would be creating visually these iconic characters. But, you know, hats off to the creative teams at the time that were developing these various books and perpetuating Jack's characters that they got intrigued and they were captured and their imaginations were stirred by what Jack had inspired there on the comic book pages and then just took these characters to another level. And that's indeed what we have today with group. So Doc, speaking of folks who have taken characters to another level, let's delve into a little creative chatter about our writers, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, and our artist, illustrator, Paul Pelletier. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. All right, Doc, now that we're here discussing our creatives, let's delve into Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, our writers. Now, Dan Abnett is an English comic book writer and novelist. He's been a frequent collaborator with fellow writer Andy Lanning and is known for his work on books for both Marvel Comics and their UK imprint, Marvel UK, since the 1990s. And he's also worked on 2000 AD. He was also contributed to DC Comics titles and his Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40,000 novels and graphic novels for Games Workshop's Black Library now run to several dozen titles and have sold over 2 million copies. In 2009, he released his first original fiction novels through Angry Robot Books. Andy Lanning is an English comic book writer and anchor known for his work for Marvel Comics and DC Comics and for his collaboration again with Dan Abnett. These guys really have worked well as a team. Lanning works primarily at Marvel Comics and DC Comics as an anchor. So this is interesting, Doc. He's coming over from being a visual artist, then now helping to propel story and story arcs. He's also penciled books, such as his creation, The Sleaze Brothers. Lanning's writing has included his and Abnett's 2000 relaunch of DC's title Legion of Superheroes. The two co-created the Resurrection Man character with artist Jackson Geis in 1997. Now, Lanning and Abnett also collaborated on an ongoing Nova series for Marvel, which premiered in 2007. That would be keeping with their cosmic roots here, which we would see come to life in this Guardians of the Galaxy legacy. The duo previously authored a Nova miniseries as a tie-in for the Marvel crossover Annihilation, which makes a lot of sense 
here when we start to delve into the story for Legacy. And that starred or Richard Ryder, now the only member of the Zandarian Nova Corps. This led into the piloting of the Annihilation Conquest storyline, and the core characters from this went on to form the new Guardians of the Galaxy. Lanning teamed up with Abnett to relaunch the Authority with Simon Colby on art. As part of the World's End relaunch of the core Wildstorm titles, it was announced at Wizard World Chicago in 2008 that Abnet and Lanning had signed an exclusive deal with Marvel, which they hoped would give them time to work on the cosmic characters they dealt with, as well as more Earth-based ones. And the contract allows them to finish existing commitments so they will be able to finish their 15-issue run on the Authority. Their first major work, which followed this, was The War of the Kings, which depicted the cosmic aftermath of Secret Invasion. Man, lots of tie-ins here, Doc. He also wrote, yeah, he also wrote the three-issue Marvel Top Cow crossover miniseries. And again, Top Cow, if I'm not mistaken, being the uh, Silvestri, Mark Silvestri imprint from Image uh, Fusion. In 2020, Lanning collaborated with Ron Mars on the nine-issue DC Comics crossover storyline Endless Winter. Wow. Okay. Doc, th- these two are pretty dynamic and a force to be reckoned with as a writing team, really delving into a lot of the cosmic elements here over at Marvel, but I'm pretty doggone impressed with their DC work too. Yeah, they, they do. They've, they've really like um, dug deep into, into DC. They don't just do the typical like, oh, we'll take Batman for a little bit and, and stuff like that. They go, they go deep. Like the authority, I'm really excited with the, with the, uh, the connection to the authority. Because we know that's going to be part of um, James Gunn's DC um, cinematic universe, and I'm not going to be surprised if he uses the one, you know, the the run from um, from Landing and and uh, and um, Abnet. It's it's going to be I'm almost guaranteed it's going to be from that run, and it's some great characters, and I think it's really going to expand that DC universe more. And I'm just excited to see the connection there because he did obviously James Gunn really likes. You know, then uh, it's rating, so he's using it for guardians. So it's going to be interesting if he connects, does the same thing with the authority in the in the DC world. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm also excited for that too, Doc. And I would not be surprised because if Gunn has shown anything that that being a loyalty to those creatives that he's mm-hmm. collaborated with, that he has a deep not only fandom of but incredible appreciation for their artistic achievements. So I will have no doubt if they're indeed in on the writing room for the authority. So Doc, let's delve into Paul Pelletier, our artist. Paul began working as a professional comic artist in the late 1980s. His first work appeared in Cosmic Stellar Rebellers and Wayward Warrior. Wow, love that. Rhyming and alliteration. Awesome. For Hammock Publications, later Zen, Intergalactic Ninja. He has worked for renowned comics publishers, DC Comics and Marvel Comics, as well as the now out-of-business cross-generation entertainment. His portfolio includes stints as regular artist or guest artist on such series as Dark Stars, Flash, Green Lantern, Guy Gardner, Legion of Superheroes, Outsiders, Superboy and the Ravers, Superman, Superman, the Man of Steel, Titans, She-Hulk, Fantastic Four, Exiles, Negation, and Negation War. On top of that, Palantir has drawn special projects such as the miniseries Green Lantern, Sentinel, Heart of Darkness, or one-shots Flash, Secret Files, Green Lantern, Secret Files, and President Luthor, 
secret files. In 2009 and 2010, the Marvel Comics miniseries War of Kings and Fall of the Hulks. Some of the writers he's collaborated with are Ron Martz, Tony Ballard, Chris Claremont, and Carl Kessel. Pelletier was one of the regular artists on Aquaman during DC's New 52. Okay, Doc. Another creative who has worked with both houses. This is very interesting. It is. It really, I mean, I don't know. When you, when you have artists that do, like, you know, both of the main houses, I think you get such a good depth of their, um, with the, with whether it's the art or the writing or both. Um, and, and this, clearly, he has some amazing um, work under his belt. And, uh, just with the, uh, just with the, uh, um, like, uh, uh, what was it? Looking over one, one even one of them caught my eye. Now I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, oh, the the fall of the Hulks. I remember reading that one, and that was that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I know, just really really fun stuff. And it's like uh, they uh, his art. I've always liked his uh, his his art with uh, in some of these works as well. I'm not familiar with everything on that list. Um, a few of them here and there, and I've always I've always enjoyed his art, and I think he does a great job with really capturing um, some uh, really good facial expressions and things like that in his artwork. Yeah, indeed, Doc. And I think this is also one of those creative talents that has not only embraced the digital age, but also has kept its humanity within his mm -hmm. art and has allowed it automation to complement his style, not overtake it. And I'll just leave it at that. And we'll get deeper into the art of this particular work when we get into the storyline here for Guardians of the Galaxy Legacy and those first six issues. So, Doc, what I'd like to do now is head into a little comics archaeology. Okay? This is a beloved segment that our fellow kid JJ started and delve into the evolution of Guardians of the Galaxy as they have had quite the historic journey. I said that, good man. What shoes have you found there? Archaeology. All right, Doc. Now here we're trying to mine some gems here, provide some rich context for our listeners, and delving into a little comics archaeology and the evolution of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, this month I've taken several key characters as well as just the Guardians in general and have done a month-long series, comics archaeology-focused series on the origins of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, the first team, and I covered this earlier in an episode in depth, launched in Marvel Superheroes issue number 18 in January of 1969. They were primarily a Robin Hood type group of rebels. So, you know, stealing from the powerful and giving back to the common being there within the galaxy. And it takes place in a 31st century universe. And they're battling an evil empire called the Badoon. Now, this was created by none other than Arnold Drake. I mean, beloved by you and me mm -hmm. as being the godfather of two really beloved series within DC. And, you know, one being Dead Man, and then the other being none other than. Oh, oh, oh. Um... Doom Patrol. Doom uh, Patrol, thank you. Oh, my God. Yep. 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 <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Arnold Drake founded the first Doom Patrol, and you know, many will say, okay, well, was Doom Patrol uh, 
the inspiration for the X-Men or were X-Men the inspiration of Doom Patrol, considering that both of those titles, I think, were published within a month of one another. Who knows? But again, it's 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 fun speculation nonetheless. Now, with the, the great artist here in, in bringing the first iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy to life was none other than Gene Colan. And Doc, I got to tell you something. I, I have become more and more a fan of Gene Colan the more I have delved into the history of his artistic career. I really, really dig his art. And of course, with the explosion of horror comics happening in the yeah. 70s and what he do with Tomb of Dracula and all that stuff, it's just, oh, just exquisite. And, and he does great, great work here on this Marvel Superheroes issue number 18. Now, Within this group, the only recognizable character that really carried forward to the modern era of what we know as Guardians of the Galaxy is Yondu. And Yondu was actually a member here of the Guardians of the Galaxy in this first iteration of the group. Now, following their debut, this Guardians of the Galaxy disappeared. They just disappeared for five years, which really isn't uncommon as far as no. some of these series that would come out in the late 60s and early 70s but it would be revitalized and resuscitated by none other than steve gerber who really was known as marvel's quirkiest writer of the day for a marvel two in one and following that his mid-1970s defenders run and then he would do a 10 issue from 1976 into 77 run in Marvel Presents Guardians of the Galaxy. And that was done by Gerber, of course, with artist Al Milgram. Now, eventually, these Guardians throughout this series would defeat the Badoon, return numerous times to 20th century Earth, and help the Avengers against Korvac and... Uh, Marvel storyline, and then they'd fade away for many years. And they wouldn't really come back into readers' view until a 1990s series by writer-artist Jim Valentino. And he, at that time, was identified as one of Marvel's rising stars. Of course, if you recognize that name, Jim was also one of the founding members of Image Comics. Now, his take on the Guardians lasted a very credible 62 issues. That's a legitimate run there, Doc, across the first half of the 90s. And the team was now team shooting about or on. They named their spaceship Captain America, <laughs> um, which is interesting. And they declared themselves the protectors of the Milky Way, literally the Guardians of the Galaxy. So many will now see this as okay this is now the embodiment of the name of the guardians existed here in this in this particular run of the guardians so that's kind of cool so it future is. versions uh, of these heroes would crop up in uh, crossover titles and uh, they, you get 31st century descendants of Ghost Rider, Iron Man, Doctor Doom, Galactus, Silver Surfer, Wolverine. And it's here that Vance Astro decides uh, to rename himself Major Victory. So this is an interesting hodgepodge of, I think, a 
62 issue run that's kind of feeling itself out as far as okay what are these guardians how are they going to play are they going to continue this quirky off the wall kind of gonzo element that steve gerber entered into and i think there's elements of that in there too but uh, you start to see more of a tying and a linkage here of the guardians to the greater marvel universe is where i think before that group other than their interactions with defenders had pretty been pretty well self-contained but then in 2006 there was really a revival of the interest of outer space marvel or cosmic marvel and that came to pass with the annihilation event and i think this is important because annihilation is a 2006 crossover storyline published by marvel which highlighted outer space outer space related characters it's the central miniseries was written by uh, Keith Giffen, and there was a uh, several issues, and it, just to see where we begin to have a ramp up into what we know to be the modern Guardians. You have Thanos in this plot. You have Drax in here. You have Nova in here. Silver Surfer, Scrolls being mentioned, Ronin being mentioned. I mean. All of these essential elements, Doc, that we would see in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie really were first laid down here during this Annihilation event. And from that, we would see now this new iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, you know, I had mentioned all of those particular characters but you know with thanos you get gamora and then dan abnett and andy lanning took over for a sequel here of the annihilation event called annihilation conquest and that's when this modern day crew of the guardians of the galaxy would all come together and this time you had star lord in there he had his own miniseries as part of the event groot and rocket raccoon would join in even man back to early days here in the 70s you'd have starhawk popped up even after teleporting himself back from a far future timeline along with virtually every other space hero uh, and villain actually the marvel would devise and the whole thing ends with a plan to create a new outfit to prevent such deep space catastrophes from ever happening again and thus was born the new guardians of the galaxy inspired by the original Guardians, but largely unconnected to them. I mean, this is really starting out their new mythos. And that initial lineup would be Star-Lord, Quasar, Adam Warlock, Drax the Destroyer, Gamora, Groot, and Rocket Raccoon. So that is a very brief overview of a comics archaeology here spanning from 1969 to present day. <laughs> and I think those are the essential elements that just even the casual listener or fan of Guardians of the Galaxy should take away from the Guardians' really long, interrupted many times journey in Marvel Comics. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting uh, journey. And I read somewhere, I can't remember where it was, that even like Star Trek, the next generation kind of like 
uh, they were they wanted to bring back guardians because it kind of had that same kind of flavor you know it's like the these protectors obviously of our of our planet and, and the solar system that is so it's you could always see that guardians was always like on the peripheral it's like the they know they had something good but maybe you know early in the in, in the early days i don't think they knew exactly what to do with them like i remember because i was very i was very x-men in the 90s i absolutely devoured anything that was x-men and so I was, uh, I was reading a lot of Marvel um, when, when uh, the first volume of uh, Guardians came out. I, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to check it out. And I wasn't blown away by it. I probably read about maybe, I always usually give a new series at least five issues. So I probably gave it about five, six issues. And I ended up putting it down. I never really went back to it. Um, but then when, uh, you know, then Hennett came around and did that, um, uh, I never read the original one, uh, or when, I should say when it first came out. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad we went through it again because it is. It's really. It's definitely cements. I think them into um, the not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but into the Marvel canon. And they really do play a big role. And I think they've been growing. They, you know, they ended up growing some really great characters from it that translate it really well to the big screen. And um, you know, with no help from James Gunn, of course. Uh, but yeah, I think it's been a really cool evolution of this group. And I always like how, you know, like I said, it's I'd always been on the periphery and it's just when, when do we use these guys? And I think uh, after that, that post annihilation event, I think it was the perfect time to bring, bring them back and really establish them as these kind of guardians that they, that they become to be known for. Doc, very well said there. And I think that's a great encapsulation of not only their journey. And I really love your reflection of having read those the first couple of the Valentino series because I really got the impression from a historical perspective that there were a lot of fits and starts. Like you said, they really didn't know what they wanted to do with this crew. But then I think once you finally have Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning coming into the fold, a very clear picture developed quickly coming off of that Annihilation event and with that said, Doc, let's head over to our literary aisle to discuss our story and our story. art of Guardians of the Galaxy Legacy. Our land hole. There's our literary aisle. All right, Doc, now that we're on our literary aisle, what were your general impressions of the story of guardians of the galaxy legacy understanding that like many graphic novels this is just the first six issues in this series yeah. what could you take away from it general impression wise i think they were, there was a lot of really interesting things uh introduced in these first six issues uh you know besides obviously the new guardians we kind of come across uh, uh, again kind of how they play with it um how the name came about um and uh which i thought was a really clever idea what they did and how rocket was like hey, ourselves the guardians and uh and just like bringing back little things like that that universal church of truth was kind of cool seeing them back in the mix for a little bit and uh, just uh, these new, which, you know, now we're kind of used to, um, you know, these different characters being part of the Guardians from the movies. But when you first see, like, when you first read them in the in the comic, it, it's really cool to get their introductions and uh, really see them, how they start to gel together. And then because of something, I don't know how much detail you want to go into the story, they get kind of torn apart very quickly, actually. You know, it's within the six, first six issues that they kind of... Uh, um, 
disband even um uh, for the most part and it's interesting to see that that really quick kind of story arc that that happens with it um but i thought there was a lot of like really cool things that were going on in it um i really like the idea of how uh peter quill um you know comes up with the idea you know we need after these events that happen about the annihilation events um the uh, you know we need something that we just can't wing it anymore that's not safe it's you know it's too risky um when these when these life-threatening world-destroying events happen we need something more solid than just winging it so that's where he comes up i think he was speaking with nova uh, about that and, and nova helped him out like kind of pointed him in the right direction it's like why don't you do this and you can use this as our headquarters and even as a teleporter and and stuff like that so i, I really thought that was a cool idea of how he was you know, it wasn't just, this is my idea, let's do it. Um, he, it kind of evolved through talking with another um, pretty big character. And I just really like the characters in it too, how they introduced them all and um, how they kind of, some in some uh, in some cases, they immediately gel together. In other cases, there's a little bit of friction, which we always know the friction is what makes the uh, the fun the fun storylines. <laughs> yeah, indeed, Doc, that friction is the secret sauce to the Guardians. There's yeah. no doubt about that. I mean, we, we feed off of that positive pressure that uh the conflict that happens the the really whip smart repartee if you will between peter quill and rocket raccoon and you know just yeah. to give you a a taste of that is when they're trying to develop a name for the guardians of the galaxy hey ass kickers of the fantastic no how about rocket raccoon and his human hangers <laughs> on you know and, and what's amazing about this this comes from a very long, I'm going to call it a cold open of this comic because mm -hmm. we really don't get into a title page for this comic until we are on, let's see here, page number six. Do we actually get a title page? So, so literally, we are dropped into action from the get-go in this comic. We are in media res. And I, I really appreciated that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like full immersion from the jump. So I think from that standpoint, you know, I, I got to tip my hat here to Dan Abnett and Andy Landing on going, okay, guys, we're going to go full immersion. We're, we are going to make this a comic that if you had been following the Annihilation storyline and then you also picked up our follow-on to that, then you're going to love this because you're just basically picking up the stories where they all left off. If you're brand new to this, yeah, you're playing a little catch-up, which I found myself again and why I thought the comics archaeology was necessary for this. You find yourself going back and going, okay, but wait a second. I must have missed something here, but that's okay. You're not right. totally clueless because as you see here, you've got this series of, okay, we need to figure out how to name ourselves. Yeah. What are we going to come up with? So you're beginning to see the origin story. And what I thought was very effective within the first five pages of the comic is that every one of these characters, as they are battling, have massive reveals about mm. their personality and their worldview in these panels. I was like, I was so impressed with the economy of words and how effective the character reveals were. And, you know, I, I'm trying to 
quell my own knowledge of the Guardians based on what I viewed in the first two films so far mm-hmm. and say to myself, okay, if I were a first time reader coming into this, you know, how would I feel about this quick immersion and the, these, uh, this dialogue back and forth while, while they're in the midst of a battle. And frankly, I would have loved it because yeah. I think there are too many times where you and I have reviewed works where, well, oh, that was a little slow to get started or man, they did a data dump on us at the beginning or, whoa, man, that, that really took an awful long time uh, to develop this particular character. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> this is at you quickly and hitting you hard. And I loved it. I thought that was a real strength here to kick off this series. I agree. Like even like the very first page of the, of the comic where you have that little insert of a, uh, of a uh, Star Lord with his mask off and he's got this little smirk on his face. Just that, that picture alone, it kind of encapsulates his, his kind of personality where he's a little bit of a smart ass, but he's very smart. And he's also obviously very heroic and everything, but he just has that little smirk on his face and he kind of, it kind of sets the tone for his entire character, which I thought was, uh, was awesome, which I may not have noticed it if I didn't watch the movies, honestly, because it's kind of that personality that, um, you know, that we get from the, uh, from the, from the, um, movie character but i really i just like how that was kind of set up and it, it really did set that tone but i agree with you 100 this this does not dabble it doesn't dip its toe in the shallow end it just jumps right into the deep end um giving us just a ton of action and uh just everything gets set up so quickly um it, and it you know in any other in less capable hands this would have been kind of like a uh like an info dump but they did it in such a great way where they broke it up the, so they gave us a little action and they gave us a little bit of, uh, of you know, some words and then they go right back to the action and they kind of divide it up. So you don't feel either way that you're either just getting dumped with info or it's just a whole lot of action without a lot of explanation. I think it was really, really well balanced in the beginning. Um, and it really, like I said, it just sets the stage for who these guys and, uh, uh, and characters are as we move forward. And we just kind of learn a little bit more, but yeah, some huge reveals that sometimes it takes like, two or three issues to get to that we get within this first book. Yeah, I, it, it, very true, Doc. But I, I think the, the glue that keeps the reader intrigued is just the developing relationships and dialogue between all the various members here of the Guardians. And Doc, let me do a roll call real quick for folks. We actually have Vance Astro, show up so so there's actually a callback to that original <laughs> guardians of the galaxy which is which is pretty cool but of course we have peter quill here star lord and he definitely makes his presence known announces it as being the team leader and, but what's great about it and we see this accurately reflected in the movies is that he makes a lot of mistakes, which actually leads to some really fantastic comedic moments and getting the guardians in a lot of jams. And of course, you know, them getting out of the jams is a lot of the fun here going from each panel. Rocket raccoon is really brought into his own in this series. Previous uses of rocket, Whereas a complimentary character, uh, I, I never felt that they delved too deeply into Rocket in previous series. This was one where 
you've got him as an equal finally, as an equal member of a group, an ensemble cast here in this comic. And from that standpoint, I really, really loved how the dialogue there was authored by uh, Abnett and Lanning. They did just wonderful work here. And this rocket had evolved tremendously from his original iteration, which I'd done an episode on where, you know, there were some uh, British colloquialisms that were being used that were coming out of the character. The thing that was consistent, however, is that he was definitely a, a raccoon humanoid. He was obviously the product of uh, some sort of experiment of some kind and was interacting uh, with humans and had weapons and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, that, that for lack of a better term, smart-ass character, Rocket, that we've all grown to to love here. And, you know, of course, wonderfully voiced by Bradley Cooper in the MCU is right here on the comic book pages. And that's great to see. Now, really what got me was the Adam Strange uh, character, uh, you know, Adam Warlock, and what was traditionally known as the Warlock crew within comics, which included Drax and Gamora. So that's kind of where that was all brought to the party. So I anticipate we're going to be seeing Adam Warlock here in um, the new Guardians film. So that'll finally bring him into the fold, make him whole. Uh, we also have uh, Fila and or, or Fila, if I'm you know, pronouncing that correctly with Moon Dragon. And that shows up in uh, issue number six. So, you know, th- this is a really interesting group of folks. And-, and there is quite a bit of back and forth because I think there's some flashbacks that take place also in the series too, back to Nova and that whole relationship. So, uh, you know, from a landscape perspective, this is great. The interactions amongst the members of the Guardians are wonderful. I, Doc, did you see a coherent thread throughout these six issues? Or did this impress upon you as we're, we're taking a journey and we don't quite know where we're going, but we're also going to pepper this? with a lot of references to other significant events that are happening. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think we had a secret invasion event happening while this series is running. So, so, you know, that, that ends up permeating into the book, but not, not overwhelming it. I, you know, I, I think the strength here is just this ensemble cast and how they interact with one another and putting them in various ch- jams or precarious mm-hmm. situations. A lot of the time due to Peter Quill's, you know, misjudgment or bad judgment on things <laughs> leading yeah. them into it. But, but what were, what were your thoughts with respect to story here? Or while you were reading, did you resign yourself to, you know, I'm going to basically treat this as six individual issues. You know, it's really interesting that you bring that up because as I was reading it, like even how it begins, uh, I thought maybe, you know, because I'm using the digital version um, Mm -hmm. uh, for for this one. And I thought maybe, oh, maybe I 
Maybe I scrolled through too fast and I missed some pages in the beginning because it starts with such a kick that I, I felt like I missed some background already. But then as you read it, you get that little background filled in as it goes along. But it, it did. It, it did feel in some places a little disjointed here and there. Nothing that would take away uh, overall from the enjoyment of it. But I, I get exactly what you're talking about, how um, sometimes it still feels like they're finding their foot, you know, trying to find their footholds for um, what to do with this series and everything. And uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the first six. I will say overall, I've never been, as far as the comic book goes, I've never been a huge Guardians of the Galaxy fan. Like I said, I started reading that that early, that 1990s um, um, version and just couldn't connect with it. And I thought maybe that's what some of this was doing, but the characters were enough and the reveals that we were getting in those in that first issue alone, it was enough to really keep me interested in reading it. And uh, and I did end up enjoying it. And I think it is one of those things, like you mentioned, it's like you kind of have to kind of go along with the ride for um, and, until it kind of finds its footing a little bit more um, on solid ground. Um, but everything I thought was uh, was pretty interesting. Like, and so, like the characters they decided for this 2008 um, Guardians version is uh, the characters I thought were perfect because there's enough there's enough friction that they can create between the characters to keep it going and keep it interesting. And like you, like, for example, like you were talking about with rocket, you know, kind of, you know, alluding to his background and, and things. And he was definitely more of an equal in this. And he wasn't, you know, cause in the, in the movie version, you kind of get the feeling like, you know, he, he feels like he should be the leader of the guardians. And there's that friction, you know, between him and star Lord, which is fun in that first, uh, epi uh the first movie. Um, but here he does. He seems more, it is like a team and it's not just our Lord kind of ruling over everybody. And it's more of a, like an ensemble in the comic. Um, so I like that about it as well. But yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. And so I can't really like put my finger exactly where I think some of this gets joined in this was, but it, it does. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a cohesive whole where um, they have everything kind of mapped out, which is absolutely fine by me. I don't need everything mapped out. Um, and they did a good, they did a really nice job at the writing that you're keep turning those pages because you want to find out what happens between, um, you know, with this new incarnation, where they're going with it. The whole universal church of truth, I thought was a really cool, um, a cool villain to open up with because you didn't have to focus on it too much. They use it as like a jumping ground for some of the other characters and stuff. So it's definitely, it's definitely interesting first six issues. And, um, be curious to see what happens after that, um, the six, because I haven't read beyond that yet. Yeah, I, and neither have I, Doc, with respect to this series. And I have a feeling that I, I will dabble and, and see where yeah, this ends up too. going because it's got me intrigued with respect to the mm -hmm. character interactions and the reveals through the 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 I, you know conflicts, discussions, conversations. You know, in some instances, Doc, it, it if I were to equate it to something it's like a it's like episodes of Seinfeld to me I, I I mean I and the reason I say that is because you know the strength of that show was you know Jerry Elaine uh Kramer you know George uh just talking about stuff you know they used to say that 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 show was the show about nothing you know and and that and that you you got your enjoyment as a viewer just based on the interactions between the characters. I, I don't want to go that far and say that, you know, the, the story's about nothing. No, because I have a feeling it's developing and going somewhere. I just think it's got a long runway. It's going down as mm -hmm. they're accentuating the interactions between all the various members. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to cut 
uh, one character short. There, there is the introduction of Cosmo in, in here too. And for those of you who watched the movie, you know originally Cosmo was in the collector's collection, and then when the collector's place blew up in the first movie, uh, Cosmo, uh, you know, walked out of there went running free. And if I'm not mistaken, Cosmo is very similar to Rocket with respect to you know being this dog but but highly intelligent and, and evolved so and and also a beloved character uh for many who have followed the guardians of the galaxy and i also expect him because he was in the christmas special to now be in guardians mm-hmm. 3 too and play a a more uh active role so when looking here doc it, it, the the strength clearly is in the writing. I, I think they did a very interesting, and what I mean by that is just the dialogue and the interactions between the characters, and mm-hmm. and and the quips and the the friction that happens. But there was also something else brought in here that was very trendy of the day, and that is, and I I'm really not a fan of reality television, but a a a. A device that was used often in reality television was a a room where a character within a reality t- television series could walk in there and just record their reflections or observations about things that were going on within the series. So literally breaking of the fourth wall. And you had that happening here with all the various members of the Guardians of the Galaxy through the debrief log. So for instance, in in one instance you've got debrief log Star Lord, Cosmo, where do I start? He's a relic of the Soviet space program who got lost in orbit sometime in the early 60s. A full-blown telepath and telekinetic, he's nowhere chief of security and our team liaison. And no, I don't know how he learned to talk. So that was their device for informing the reader who maybe didn't have a background on a particular character or understand the context of a situation to kind of backfill them with data there. To, so you go, oh, okay, now I see how a particular character fits in. And I think they used that device to great effect here throughout the series. You agree. I agree. And you know what? Let's not let's not skip over that whole Seinfeld comparison because I think you're onto something here, Angus. Uh, we have uh, you know the comparisons. I mean, the dog is called Cosmo. Was that was Kramer's nickname? And in the show, you know, in Seinfeld, the show's about nothing. And in uh, in uh, those movies of the galaxy, their their uh, their headquarters is nowhere. So I think there's a lot of comparisons here. We have you know, Peter Quill as Seinfeld. We have Gamora as Julie Louise Dreyfus. Oh, a great thing here. We got a crossover. <laughs> I was looking at that like, what's going on here? Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you're um, I think you're absolutely right that you know, the power here is the writing, and I did I like those like you, like you call them the kind of like the breakout reality rooms. I I kind of I like that. It was kind of a cool little gimmick that really wasn't used a lot in comics. 
And uh, I, I thought that was a cool idea. It was a cool way of introducing, uh, getting a little bit more background to the characters and um, absolutely the strength here. I mean, the artwork, we haven't gotten to that yet, I know, but the artwork I think is is, is pretty stunning in some places, but the writing is what really um, will grab you with this. I guess I have to say with most really well-written ones, but this one is, is it's just a little bit unique too. Like you said, I like break that fourth wall and everything and um, he kind of, like it's the um the ebb and flow of it. You're not used to a series starting out so much action, um, and then you know uh, it's used, usually is a small a slow build up. This one just jumps right into the deep end. So I thought that was really cool. But the writing is just it's just top notch in this. There's no doubt. It, it is, Doc. It is, and I, I want to for the benefit of the casual readers of Guardians who uh, you know may not be familiar with some of the deeper cuts in here. You know the establishment of nowhere is actually the head of a fallen celestial which there is reference to this in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, mm -hmm. uh, but there is deep lore within the comic books with respect to the establishment of nowhere. And this is the headquarters of the Guardians. And, you know, in the movie, that was also where the collector had his base of operations and all that good stuff. So it, it's, it's pretty cool to see that that world then went ahead and translated over to the MCU and, you know, we'll delve into maybe some speculative uh, predictions here we may have for volume three as a movie. But as you mentioned, Doc, let's delve into the art here and cool. take a look at, you know, what were your general impressions other than what you just expressed on Paul uh, Pelletier's art? I mean, honestly, and not to be, not to sound like, you know, anything, I wouldn't say it's anything mind-blowing as far as, like, uh, uh, art goes. It's, it's probably not going to be your favorite artwork done, but I think it's for um, for the story. I think it's, I think it does a great job complementing the story. I think um, we get some just really, really amazing action scenes uh, with this artwork. Uh, I love Drax. I think he is drawn just beautifully in this in this uh, series. And same with Gamora too. It's a very different kind of look of Gamora. Very a lot more stronger looking, and um, uh, than we get in like you know the the big screen version. But I just love Drax. He's uh, uh you can just see his intensity in his face when he's in battle, and you can really just by looking at him, you kind of get into his mindset. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, so overall, I thought the art was pretty good. And there's a couple splash pages that I thought were absolutely beautiful, like just the uh, the title page in that first um, in the first issue, where somebody's got to do it. Um, beautiful, the detail that's in that spaceship and everything. It's it's really it's really cool. I think it was uh, it's it's like I said, it's not going to be your. It's probably not going to be your favorite, but I thought it was really really well done and really complemented the story um, and really helped move it along as well. Yeah, Doc, I agree with you. Paul Pelletier's strength in this. For at least first six issues are all the action sequences. That yeah. is where he's really allowed to shine. I, I think any time that you are establishing a series, strength being the dialogue or conversations between characters written with really whip smart um, words and and great turns of phrase, that is a real challenge for an artist to not only shine, uh, but at the same time, not overwhelm the messaging that the writers are trying to get across. So I, I, I'll, I'll say this for Paul. I think he did the best that he possibly could given the constraints he had based on where the story 
arc through dialogue was taking him. I, I think that's the best way to way to put it. Yeah, you know, so idea. so so if if you're expecting here some visual storytelling toward a force, a la John Byrne or a George Perez or you know Big John Bushama, that's you're not going to find this here, no. and that is no knock on Paul. Exactly. I I, tr- I truly felt Paul did a very very good job in servicing this series in the first six issues i think that's the best way to put it i Um, think that's perfectly yeah you know so from that standpoint it was enjoyable but the standout here very clearly is the writing of uh lanning here along with abnett there's there's just no doubt about it and oh. again, you know, kudos to Paul with respect to all the action sequences. They are fantastic. I, I, they're, they're first class. They're right up there with, you know, the, the really good realm of action sequences that you would come to expect out of a professional comic book. They just, yeah, just good, good stuff. Yeah. So this is, you know, and I, I never like to, and I never like to slip into that whole, let's compare the comic book to the movie. And I know we're not going to do that, but no, I'm we're not. Say the one, the one thing that I could just, you know, just jump one thing with uh, the one character that I see that I think the movie did it this justice to is Drax. When you read, and I'm glad I read this, this, uh, you know, the first six issues, because it reminded me of just how really kind of Yes, Drax is, you know, he, he's such a warrior and he's, that's, that's what he's, you know, his, his thirst for vengeance and everything like that. And, um, the first, I think the first movie did a great job with that. And I, I just, I didn't like how they kind of made him into that comedic, kind of like almost a dumb character and he's anything but dumb. He's got, this is very intelligent in the comic and everything like that. So it was one, it was one thing I didn't think, um, they did a great job with translating, but if you really like the Drax character, you're going to love him in these first six issues. Cause I think he, uh, he is awesome. I think he uh, he's the Drax that we love from like that first movie, um, but we get to see him kind of evolve more on the pages, which um, I, I thought was fantastic. And that to me was worth the read alone because I've always liked, he's probably my favorite of the Guardians. And uh, I liked seeing him in his true, you know, what, the, what he was always meant to be kind of in the comics and everything. So I really appreciated that in this. And that's what made it a lot of fun for me is, is seeing more about Drax. And um, it's probably why I'm going to read on and just see where they take Drax in the comic. Yeah, Doc. And, and for me, it was Adam Warlock. Because frankly, I do not have the rich comics background having read a lot of titles with Adam Warlock in there. Me neither. Me neither. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed these first six issues, the Adam Warlock character, and really now this has got me hyped up to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and how mm-hmm. that treatment is then rendered in the Marvel Cinematic Universe beyond just you know getting a, an image of, yeah. of Adam Warlock and the teasers that we've gotten thus far. So... Doc, what I'd like to do is let's turn our attention here as we are winding down our episode to a little speculation on what we may come to expect out of the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 film based on what we've read here in the comics and also then incorporating our knowledge of the first two Guardians movies. So 
with that, let me pose a couple of ideas here and let's get your reaction. And then I also want to see if you also have some uh, speculative ideas to offer. I've been fortunate enough to have heard several podcasts now of folks who have attended CinemaCon, which just took place this past week. And that's for theater owners across the, the country. And they invited the press to, to that to cover it. And this was a great opportunity to preview some movies. And I know there were showings of not only The Flash, which we're anticipating in June, but there were also showings of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And the consensus first reactions from folks were, if you are a Guardians of the Galaxy fan, you'll absolutely love this movie that James Gunn creates a fitting end to his trilogy and really doesn't make this into an overarching Marvel film, meaning servicing a continuing story arc or continuity thread that's going to continue on into other movies. Okay, so with that being said, I'm going to introduce some ideas here based on what we read in the comic and uh, see if maybe perhaps... With our knowledge of certain shows that are about to come out on Disney Plus and also movies that have been announced for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that we maybe can have some opportunities to create some linkage here in this film. Maybe not in depth, but at least in mention or passing events. So here we go. Number one, when we have mentioned here of Secret Invasion in this series, we had that Secret Invasion event happening. Marvel, we're expecting the secret invasion to to take place as far as the next iteration here of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'm sure the Marvels, which comes out in November, is going to hit on this. But before all that happens, you've got the Secret Invasion TV series, which is going to focus in on Nick Fury. I, I would not be surprised if we at least have a tip of the hat to Secret Invasion happen here in. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, second, although not in this particular series, but as being identified as the big bad in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we're going to have the introduction of the High Evolutionary to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And most likely, you know, again, this is just pure speculation based on the trailers, the reveal that the High Evolutionary was the one that actually brought Rocket Raccoon to life in its current iteration. So, with comic book lore, if you have the High Evolutionary, you have Wundergaard. If you have Wundergaard, you have Scarlet Witch. You also have, dealing here, High Evolutionary, DNA, Gene Mutation, X-Men, Mutants. So there's the possibility there of maybe that being hinted at, peppered at, through interactions with the High Evolutionary. Number three. I'll throw out there is we did have Doc in this series, the introduction of ripples in the time continuum, the time threads, timelines. If we're talking about that, we just in Ant Man and previous unto that, Loki had the introduction of Kang the Conqueror. So I see the potential here, although it's been said that James Gunn is really going to, for us, put a fitting ending on this trilogy with not being too hung up on 
feeding continuity into other story arc threads that are currently happening in the MCU. I, I see the potential here for at least side mention addressing aspects of some of these things here in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. I I, I agree with you 100. I'm I'm most excited with this with the idea of the um, of the high evolutionary. Um, you know, we did when we talked about um, uh, I think it was both uh, Werewolf at Midnight and um, and when we talked about uh, a couple of those issues of Thor, when we, you know, when we got that introduction to the high, uh, high evolutionary, it's exciting because we did, I, and then oh, the dark hold. When we talked about the dark hold, also when we did a deep dive, and I ended up reading any book that had a mention of dark hold. I know I came across a lot of uh, evolutionary, of course, and not Wonder Gore, and uh, you know, introduced it with Scarlet Witch and everything, and it was it's just an awesome idea. And this is a great, great character, I think, to be introduced into the MCU. I think it's what the MCU needs. It's something that is, um, um, it maybe, you know, I guess, I don't know if a uh, high evolutionary is considered a deep dive in the comics, I guess, you know, depending on how, you know, how much of the, of the, of Marvel that you've read. Um, but it's, it, he's a really fantastic character. I think it, like you, like you said, you know, mutants and all these other elements of, uh, Marvel, not just the cinematic universe, just in general, all these things can be brought out a little bit more detail and a little bit more further explained and examined through high evolutionary which is just an awesome character so i think uh, i think we're definitely going to see some kind of connection and like you said i think Dunn was really more concerned with um hiding up this trilogy and not really like worrying about leaving some threads but i think he is leaving threads like high evolutionary the fact that there is a really great um cookie cutter um that you can put kang right into um and things like that i i, I think we're going to be referencing these for a couple you know a couple marvel movies to come um whereas we might not see the guardians anymore i think their legacy is definitely going to be kind of fits right legacy it kind of fits that uh, uh we're going to see a lot of some of those um, elements that were introduced in number three moving going on into future um marvel um um uh, projects and everything and i think it's a i think it's a perfect idea for it even some of the individual characters we might see um pop up here and there um but i think for the most part like you said i think we're going to get a nice little ending to this trilogy which uh i'm looking forward to it it'll be nice to see what he does with this but also i'm really curious um with all these major things that he's introducing um what what the future possibilities could end up being but i agree i think the uh, for me it's the high evolutionary that's the one that i'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with but um the connections with secret invasion you can't deny that there's got to be some kind of connection to this with uh when we go into secret even if it's just like glance like you said um just a mention in one sentence or something like that i think we're definitely going to get that as well coming up yeah i i can't help but think that too doc uh, it, it, there's just it's too much history here. Yeah. And, you know, again, we've seen the reverential treatment here that James Gunn has bestowed on both Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. And I just think from that standpoint, too, and the very positive relationship that exists between Kevin Foggy and James Gunn. I mean, James Gunn is not going out here on bad terms at all. Matter of fact, Kevin Foggy has publicly wished James Gunn the best heading up DC Studios. And I think that's genuine. Matter of fact, if there was if there was ever an opportunity, Doc, for a crossover cinematic event to happen, once James Gunn, if the the powers that be at DC get out of the way 
and allow him to fulfill his vision for a coherent DC universe, that might actually end up becoming a reality longer term down the road, just because of the good relationship that Foggy has there with Gunn. And there's a lot of respect between both of them. (laughs) Exactly. Nothing but good can come from this. And something else I was thinking of with the high evolutionary too is, you know, we have... We have only just tapped the surface, just really tapped the surface of, uh, you know, Werewolf of uh, at Midnight. Uh, which Werewolf you know, by Night? Oh, I'm sorry. I keep saying by Midnight. Yeah, Werewolf at Night. Uh, by night that's okay. You're, you're um, keyed up for the Midnight Suns to happen, so I get it. Exactly. And that, that's what I keep thinking about, that I think we're still heading in that direction. And who knows? They could use the uh, the High Evolutionary as, as a reason uh, of how you can explain the Werewolf. Instead of it being just an old-fashioned curse... Maybe it is the high evolutionary that, you know, was involved with creating all these different Midnight Suns characters, which could be really cool in its own in its own way, especially when, you know, when different writers can get their, you know, get their claws in it. Yes, it would be very different from from the comic book canon, but still, they change a lot of stuff, you know, in the movies to make it a little bit different, a little bit more um, approachable. And that could be kind of a cool explanation of where these Midnight Suns come from um, if they didn't want to go the, the complete you know, more the magical aspect of the MCU. Um, they could always keep it, you know, this way, um, that they are mutants um, and they were experiments and now they're going to come together to help save the world from whatever, from X, plug in here. Right. <laughs> but uh, I think there's a lot of different things they can do with it. And I'm looking forward to every single one of it. And like you said, James Gunn, I think um, he's done an amazing job with it. And I think uh, we're not going to, I think the big question that like you said can dc get out of his way we're gonna find out and uh i think if they do i think james gunn's gonna do some amazing things with dc just like he did with this this trilogy on on guardians for sure agree doc agree and doc with that being said let's go ahead and wrap this up with just our final thoughts on guardians of the galaxy legacy and i'll kick that off by saying that i I think this is a Wonderful introduction into the modern group of the Guardians of the Galaxy that very clearly was the comic book inspirational force behind James Gunn's creation that we would see uh, come to life there within the MCU. And this will be completing a decade-old relationship between us and movie viewers and the James Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy creation which very clearly Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning gave birth to, laid that foundation. And from that alone, you owe it to yourselves as comic book fans, and if you're also fans of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, to read Guardians of the Galaxy Legacy so you understand the personality evolution of these characters. Doc? I 100% agree. I, I think um, if you're a fan of the movies, you're going to absolutely love this book because you're going to see a little bit more background and uh, you're going to see a lot of, uh, there's enough of similarities that you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember that in the movie. And, you know, it'll be a really fun read for you. And I think it really, do- it does nothing. Reading this will just give you a firmer, um, I think you'll appreciate these characters even more. And um, again, like, we, like we've said, I think a thousand times this this episode. The writing is just so amazing, um, um, even if there was no movie. It's a great book to, to read. Um, I really think this um, th- this series cements, this comic book series, this cements the Guardians of 
and I think they finally realized their potential in within the Marvel universe, and um, and they did a great job with it. And I think it's a fun read. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm Star Lord. I formed the Guardians. Met a girl, fell in love. And that girl died, but then she came back. Came back a total dick. Oh please. He left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. My sacred mission is to create the perfect society. He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. you all to know that I'm grateful to fight beside my friends. Incinerate them. <laughs> we were always searching for a family until we found each other. Are you ready for one last ride? fly away together into the forever and beautiful sky. Whoever it was that you were in love with, it sounds more like her. Her? That's Do ridiculous. not bring me into this. <laughs> Knock it off! What? I never noticed how black your eyes were. They were replaced by my father as a method of torture. He, he picked a pretty set. We're Kids. Hey,